I think transition moments in our life are so key. Like we're just in the habit of going like thing to thing to thing, right? If a meeting ends at 11, the next meeting starts at 11. And how do we create, not the pressure to create these massive moments of margin and space in our lives, but how do we create little moments in between thing where we can just talk to God, hear his voice, cast our cares, take a moment to pray. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. We've got a great show today because we have my good friend, Jonathan Josephs with us. Uh, I call him JJ and we served together for many years at Elevation Church, where he is the campus pastor at the Ballantyne location. And so we have a really good discussion on how to find communion and rest with Jesus in our short transition moments throughout the day, how being a father has changed how he leads, the value of being a non-anxious presence, and how important it is to know the voice of God in ministry and not just rely on the mechanics of what we do. So if you feel like your life is just so busy, so packed, you're going from thing to thing to thing, and you're having trouble finding moments to be with God and to be aware of God's presence, I think this episode is gonna really help you. And I have a great companion for you for this episode. It's a short free guide called Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. If you wanna evaluate your current routine and see what you can do to build a life that brings more peace and joy, this free guide will help you. So you can find the link for that in the show notes and YouTube description. Once again, it's totally free. And also I wanna remind you, to get my new book, if you haven't gotten it already, This Dream Is Not For You. It's available everywhere books are sold. And I'd love to hear from you how this book is helping you. And if you've read it and you wanna share that with me, leave a review wherever you bought the book. You can send me a message on Instagram. And I'd love it if you'd help share this book as well. Maybe buy one for a friend, post about it on social media, but help me get the message out that God is greater than any dream and that we can trust him with our hearts. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Jonathan Josephs. JJ, welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. It's good to have you on. Thanks for letting me get on here, Wade. I know I said this at dinner earlier this week, but big congrats on uh, your book. First time author. Ah, thank you. Wade Joy. This oh, you dream got is it. not for you. Available you. everywhere. You're plugging it for me. Oh, big plug right here. And it's great. We could just talk about we could talk about the book today. Are you going to interview me? We could we could just turn this thing around. Yeah, I have lots of questions about the uh, the surrendered self. Well, I love we, that part of the book. We might we might get to that later, but first, right. I've got to ask you the this is the the icebreaker question on dreamers and disciples. What are you dreaming about right now? Oh, okay, I'm dreaming about how to take what I am learning as a father in real life and how mm -hmm. that applies to the way I do ministry. That's what I'm dreaming about. So a few years ago, um, it's actually in a conversation with Pastor Stephen. We were just talking about leadership, and he said, "You got to." He's like, "You're going into a season where now that you're a father, will you will you will learn to lead like a father?" And so just like I got, you know, my oldest is almost nine. Then we've got a six year old, and then a one year old girl. Um, so with each different season, as I'm learning more and more about what it means to be, uh, hopefully, a good dad, a decent dad. It's like, I'm trying to learn what does it mean to take like, to take the the spirit in which I lead them and 
uh, apply that to a ministry setting. So for me, I've been dreaming about I've been dreaming about that. What does it mean to create opportunities for the people I lead? What does it take to be a voice of encouragement? What does it take to how does that inform the way I bring correction? Uh, what kind of environment am I making for people to grow within? Things like that. Well, let's let's chase that down for a second. So what? Oh. <laughs> so I mean, you you have questions around that. What are you learning? What is what is transferring from you being a parent to you being a leader and you being a pastor? What has been maybe what has been easy to transfer, and then what has been more challenging too? So a few things, and I learned most of this from Anna, my wife. So she'll say a lot of times she'll go, yeah, the wise one. She she would say to me over the years, she's like, she's like, what you're saying might be right, but how you're saying it can be wrong. And so she's helped me try to just tune into the spirit in which you bring something, the tone in which you bring something is so is so important. And she's like, kids are really sensitive to to um, uh, not just like what we say, but the entire atmosphere that you create in your home. So she's like, she's really good at picking up. She's like. Hey, the boys feel a little bit anxious when I bring, like, I might not feel like I brought stress home into the house, but she's like, we can all pick up on that. It changes the atmosphere of our home. So for me, when it comes to how we lead at church, I think we're so good, Wade, about, you know, this, like at at our church, we're so great at thinking about the atmosphere that we create on a Sunday morning. What do we want people to experience? Like when they walk into church, it's not just the sermon. It's not just what's said. It's not just what they hear. It's the entire atmosphere that we create that impacts so many lives that you've heard it over and over again. People are like, man, from I walked, like came into the parking lot or stepped into the lobby, I felt something, right? Mm-hmm. All these ways in which we prepare people's hearts to be able to receive what God is speaking. So we think about that so much when it comes to church. I'm trying to think about that um, a lot in terms of what it looks like in the Monday Uh, Monday through Friday in our office environment. Am I that intentional with the environment that I'm creating that for the people that I've been entrusted to lead? Is it an atmosphere where it's like they go, man, like when I got to work, I feel like I'm flourishing. I'm growing because it's an environment that's so rich. So um, that would be one of, that'd be one of them, like thinking through environment, atmosphere. What is it? Is it conducive to people flourishing? Uh, That would be, that would be one of the things that I'm trying to apply from fatherhood to leadership. And what was your next thing? What's one that's hard? Yeah, what's what's a difficult one? So a difficult one, and this is probably true of uh, raising your own kids too. The hard part is my, my nine-year-old son and my six-year-old son could not be more different in uh, hmm. the way they kind of respond to things, especially in the way they respond to maybe like uh, uh, correction or guidance, right? So like my oldest Zion is very, um, uh, he's, uh, you can, you can kind of just imply what you're wanting and he kind of picks up on it and he's like, he's very go with the flow and, um, he'll be like, okay, got it. Yeah. Like just, he's just always been that kid. My six-year-old on the other hand needs you to take a lot more time to sit down and go like, let him express himself before I kind of ask, here's what I need. And so you kind of know it, you kind of start to learn it as a parent of, oh man, they both share 50% of my DNA and 50% of Anna's DNA, but yet they're completely different. And yet when it comes to leadership, the biggest challenge is always like, we want everyone to adapt to the way we want to lead instead of adapting our leadership to who they are. And so Hmm. it's, uh, 
that's probably been the biggest challenge of going like, I can't lead this person in the same way I lead that person. And there's a part of me that just like is always like, well, hey, like this is what I want to do or this is how I am. Like they they should learn. Uh, but to get the most out of people and help them become, when your heart becomes not just what do I get out of these people, but how do I help them become who God created them to be? Mm-hmm. Then it just becomes my job to kind of step back and go like, how do how do they respond when I bring something like this and pay more attention to those little those little cues and begin to customize my approaches as a father would of like I want what's best for them I want to guide them but I want them to be able to receive from me in this moment I'm not I'm not a I don't want to be a uh, I don't I don't want to just be a boss I want to be a father and that's a shift for yeah, me so I've much... always vacillated sorry yeah no go ahead you, you vacillate between what well between like. I feel like a lot of times in my leadership, I'd flip between like boss and friend. Like, mm-hmm. hey, like I'm the boss. So like, why are they acting? Like, why won't they just do what I say? And then the side of me that's a, a that um, uh, sometimes I flip the other way where it's like, man, I just want to be the guy that's like, I just want to be everybody's friend. I've loved one of the greatest joys of this last decade of ministry. It's been doing ministry with friends, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's uh, such a life-giving thing. And so there's like so many times where I'm like, man, I just want, I just want to be, I just want to be friend, you know, like we all get along and, and uh, there's never any conflict and I'm just one of the boys. And so what God is teaching me, and it really came from like encouragement from our pastor a couple of years ago, but I really took it to heart and it's just been growing since is like, no, it's not boss. It's not friend. It's learning to father. It's like that love is still there that gives me so much life that comes from friendship, that relationship is there, that gives me so much life uh, that also comes from friendship. But it's like, it's it's saying like, hey, God has entrusted me to you, has entrusted you to me that I've got to bring something out of you and be intentional and being intentional about that. Yeah, there's so much wisdom in, in what you're sharing because I think it's it's very easy to be a selfish leader where you are, it's what you said earlier, you you want people to conform to your communication style, to your, I, I guess, your own vision, your own preferences. And some of that is is necessary in leadership because there does have to be a certain flow. But when you actually begin to see the people that God has entrusted you to lead, you begin to see yourself as a steward over them. And even the fatherly language brings such a heart and such a care and such a warmth to it. But a father also has to be corrective at times. A father has to be stern at times. So a father's not mm-hmm. just always patting you on the back. Sometimes right, a right. father is, is challenging you. And so I think that is so much better of a frame than just friendship. Mm-hmm. Because I think I, I love to be a relational leader. And I think Same. that's something you and I have in common. Yeah. But being a relational leader sometimes the pitfall of that is when you just see everybody as a friend, you are not doing them the service of actually growing them and empowering them and challenging them because Jesus was a very challenging leader. Paul was a very challenging leader. Peter was probably a very challenging leader. (laughs) So you can still have the warmth and affection, but yeah, the fatherly aspect of that is a very helpful parameter, especially if you are a parent already. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great lesson that you're learning that I think all of us can can think through. How am I serving the people 
loving the people and stewarding them well that God has given me influence over. Yeah. And I don't think it, I don't even think I could have started on this journey until I became a parent myself. And so Mm -hmm. that's like one of, that's just the grace of God that as we move through life and, and, uh, and he blesses us in, in, in just different ways in new seasons, we get to adapt every aspect of our life to what he's teaching us and where he's growing us and integrating the two. Yeah. And previously you talked about that environments and the atmospheres that we create. Uh, I can't remember who said this, but they said something to the effect that the greatest thing that people need right now from a pastor is a non-anxious presence. And their point was there's so much anxiety in the world. People need to see in their pastors and their spiritual leaders, this deep rooted dependence on Jesus that transforms the atmospheres that that we create whenever we're in the room. Yeah. How now I know that, you know, the the atmosphere at a high, at a, at a, a high growth, fast paced ministry like elevation is not laid back. And that's, you know, a lot of the success of the church and the growth has been this drivenness, this passion about the mission. And so there's an urgency to that. Sure. You and I used to have talks all the time about, cause we would, read similar stuff. So when I was on staff, you'd pop into my office sometimes and we'd have conversations about Henry Nowen or Dallas Willard or just something like that. Something We just revolving. wanted to be wise sages and, and gurus and just... We did. <laughs> I had the age... Grow, grow a long you, beard, sit under a tree. Everyone just comes and gathers around when they have questions. <laughs> yeah, I had the age part down. You had the wisdom and together yeah. we were going to become the, the sages. But what have you learned about how to keep your soul and your heart at rest to Mm. not choose anxiety, but not also lose the urgency of the mission that you're called to. Because I think one of the pitfalls, as much as I love that we're talking about rest more and we're talking about Sabbath more and taking care of our soul is sometimes we think that means not to work where you see in scripture work is a holy thing. It's a God-given thing. There was work before the fall. Adam was tasked with work by God before the serpent, before they disobeyed God. So can you talk to me about what you're learning about how to rest, but also how to work well, even especially when there's a lot of pressure around you? Sorry, that was a long-winded question, but I think you know what I'm asking. There's so much to that I think would be really fun to unpack together. Um, It was... uh, pulling up a note because I had it somewhere where Richard Foster, he said, solitude is more of a state of mind and heart than it is a place. Hmm. And I loved when he said, uh, and I know he's specifically speaking about solitude, but that's the spaces we create to connect with God where, you know, the disciplines take place and the practices. But sometimes we, like, like you were just saying, sometimes we think, oh, it's not working or it's ceasing from work or it's a set apart time. And he's like, no, learning to walk with Jesus is more of a state of mind than it is a specific place. So, uh, for me, there's been so much of learning of what does it mean to really, how do I how do I find these moments to connect with God in the middle of ministry, right? So oh, even that phrase, I like, in the middle of ministry, because sometimes we think of rest or uh, Sabbath or my prayer t- as this, like as a separate thing, or if I can just get to a sabbatical, you know, <laughs> next June, whatever, then I'll be okay. And like what I th- see Jesus demonstrating in the way he lived was learning how to find communion with God in 
the middle of ministry, right? Like from thing to thing to thing, these moments where he'd get away on a mountainside to pray. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's so, is so key. Is it in that emotionally healthy spirituality book? He says, uh, the basis of our ministry is intimacy, not productivity. And so for us, I think like in, in environments that we've been in, there, there's just, there's so, there's always so much to, there's always so much to do. Right. And there's always so much that can be done and we want to do things with excellence. And you're right. There's an urgency to the mission that God has called us to. And yet uh, we have to be so careful that, that our, that we are cultivating intimacy with God in a way that enables us to be fruitful for God and not let the urgency of everything somehow, somehow, uh, replace what God is ultimately calling us to, which is intimacy with Him. And so that's where we get into this idea of, and I, I love when you talk about it, like the calling that God gives us is a calling to Himself and a calling to be like Christ. And then from that place, of course, He entrusts us with ministry and opens up doors for us. Of course, like we get to use our lives in service to the world and building His kingdom, but the calling is to Him. And I think for me, one of the biggest lessons I had to learn early on was I just thought because I worked at a church and was doing ministry that somehow like it count like me working for God somehow counted as my ministry unto God. And they're two different things. And so whew, for me, I just thought, oh, I'm working at a church. We're going to like start the day all together in prayer. And it's like, no, when I get to the office, it looks like spreadsheets and phone calls and <laughs> decisions to make. And so how, like, it's my responsibility to find these moments with God where I can, where I can uh, cultivate intimacy with him and learn to hear his voice. So you got so much. I, I was thinking about this the other day, because as I was going through your, your, um, your book. I'm almost done. I'm like three quarters of the way done the book. And it's amazing <laughs> so far, Wade. You, oh, when I, you. I thought it was going to be so much about like the dreams we have and the visions we have for our life, but I realized it's such a book about surrender. Like that's what I kept hearing over and over. It's about like, it's about surrender. It's about surrender. And when it comes to, when it comes to the the um, assignment that God has for our life, I think so often, like we think we can project what it's going to look like, and it's like, oh, here's an opportunity that matches all my ambitions and all my gifts and all my dreams, and yet, like what I heard you kind of recounting over and over in the book is that just as you were faithfully following God step by step, it's like the expectations of maybe what would happen look differently sometimes, but all along, God was guiding your steps and using you season to season. And it made me just kind of think about my journey. Like I even remember when I got asked to uh, launch our, our, our broadcast location. And, um, and I've been doing that for seven years now, Wade. You remember those seven times? Seven years. And, uh, and it took me, like if someone asked, like, what's your dream? I just, I would have, everything in my head would have like made excuses of like why it couldn't have been you know, why it couldn't have been me. And so it wasn't like I felt a calling, like, oh God, you shaped me and formed me and you foreknew me in my mother's womb to do something like this. It was like quite the opposite. Like why, like, why the heck uh, did they tap me on the shoulder? And all these like feelings of like where I feel inadequate and who can, do, who would have done better at this and who would have done better at that. And so the weird thing about how God directs our steps into his purposes is like, I think a lot of times, we only see it in hindsight and the danger that we can get in is, uh, is kind of projecting 
what we know about ourselves in the moment to say, like, does this opportunity match who I am? And it took me, I'd say, maybe a solid three years before I got to the place where I'm like, oh, like, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but in hindsight going like, oh, it kind of had to be me. Realizing, like, not the things people see, but kind of like the little beneath the surface things, Mm -hmm. the intangibles that are, I was like, man, I'm, I think I'm a really good leader for this thing. And so one of them that you mentioned is like, is I always felt that I didn't have enough like uh, urgency and like, and fire. I remember like being on elevation staff and and someone telling me like, Hey, you got to walk faster. So people know like, (laughs) this is important. Right. And I always felt like, man, am I not a fit? Because I'm like a laid, I'm, I'm a laid back guy. I tend to be like, and it's like a little bit more relaxed and not get flustered. And so there was a lot of points where I'm like, like, I don't have enough ah, in me. What do you call that? Uh-huh. What's the, ah? I'm just making a noise, but there has to be a word. Um, I don't have enough of that, like, aggression or that, like, ambition. And so for mm-hmm. me, it always felt like a limitation or a lid in our setting. And then, like I was saying, like, three years later, you kind of look back and you're like, you know what? I think people would have pulled their hair out going crazy if our broadcast campus, where there's so many different dynamics and so many decisions being made and things are happening so quickly and so much impact on the rest of our church. I'm like, I think staff volunteers would have been pulling their hair out, going mad if I was the type of leader who was always like in everybody's face, this, this, this. And I go, and you look back and go, well, the fact that um, God did wire me to be a little bit more on like the chill side has actually like served this place really well that, that the scope and the scale of the impact and the and the and, and the weight of what we're doing creates so much urgency that I get to kind of almost be what you said a non I, I really like that phrase a non anxious presence and I never would have been able to forecast like that being a need but in hindsight you go well like thank you Lord like yeah I'm, I'm so grateful I can be a non anxious presence to people that we can still do what we got to do still get things done well and 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 respond where we need to respond and take action where we need to take action but to be someone who can kind of just pause in the midst of anything and say just okay like hey like look around i know we had a little bit like yeah i know this wasn't exactly what we expected but like look at look what this person's experiencing right now or let me tell you what this person said and so just to be that sort of uh presence i think is uh um, I, i feel like really needed. And I'm grateful I've been able to be that at moments. Yeah. And I affirm that in you too, because I feel like you did, you were very stabilizing presence when I was around too. And it didn't diminish your leadership. It didn't make you seem less in charge of the things that you were called to to be in charge of, but it helped just put everybody a, a bit more at ease. And I think sometimes we can think that drivenness or passion as a personality type, Mm. where you can still be passionate and have a sense of urgency, but express differently based on who you are. Um, So it doesn't always have to look exactly like it looks in somebody else. And- Well, one thing I love love about you, Wade, and and a lot of the examples in ministry that I've seen is that um, I stopped defining passion as like, who's the most loud and who's the most excitable, but seeing mm-hmm. the the evidence of passion is perseverance. And so um, I think sometimes we're like, 
wow, they're so passionate. And then you kind of, three years later, you're like, and where'd they go? And so for, um, for me, I've so been so privileged to have like so many examples and people like you who demonstrated their passion, not just through like, how much can I do right now? What can I take on? And like, sign me up for everything. But just like that steady perseverance of like, you're running the race and the way you orient your life to run the race well and to be fruitful in ministry and to be uh, and, and to create a foundation for everything else that God has trusted you and to be the father and to be the husband. And it's like the, the fruit, the evidence of your passion for Christ being the fact that it's like you're in it day after day, waking up going like, Lord, how can I serve you today? You're just uh, full of encouragement for me today, JJ. Wide. You are, people need to know that you are to Canada what Justin Bieber is to America. You know, it's just like, you're telling <laughs> I, me about have, all, the, all the different events you're doing up there in the next, and as a Canadian, I can say that. Like Justin Bieber, he's a fantastic Canadian export, but you are Canada's finest import, way, Joy. You know what? I wear that with pride. I love my Absolutely. Canadian friends and family. And I did sing a Justin Bieber song at one point at Elevation many, many, many years ago, and I th- Hope that video is forever. You can find the link in the where find the link for that <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> uh, you said something a while ago that I want to go back to, where you said there's a difference between working for God and working unto God. And I think unpacking that would be helpful because a lot of, there's some people who listen to this who are in ministry and they might think of themselves as working for God. There's a lot of people that listen to this that they don't see themselves as working for God and they don't know what it means to work unto God. So can you maybe talk about that distinction within your own work, in your own ministry, in your own life, and then how that might apply to the person listening? So I think it's crazy to think about the fact that Jesus had three years to do ministry, right? Which is Lord willing for most of us, we'll have many more years than that to be able to serve God and and, uh, and and make an impact on people's lives. And yet, with only three years to do ministry, we see Jesus over and over again getting away to a quiet place to be with his Father. And so I think sometimes for us, it's like, we feel like, oh, well, I've got so much stuff to do that, like, how do I have time for that? And yet, Jesus had less time than us. And this is Jesus, who doesn't have the interruption of sin in his life, right? He's he's perfect. He walks in union with God. He's 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 going up on a mountainside to pray. He's 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 getting it, finding himself in these moments after after he feeds the five thousand and multiplies bread and fish. It says he goes up to onto a mountainside and he's just praying. So it's like he has only three years to do ministry and change the world, and yet he is constantly prioritizing getting alone with God and being with his Father. And I just think we get it so backwards sometimes. And I, and I say this like, because this is something the Lord is always challenging me on is like, is, is, is how do, what's my excuse for not prioritizing that in my own life, finding these spaces to be with him. And, and whether you're in ministry, like, or not, but it's, you know, to me, it's, there's certainly a, 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 a responsibility for those of us who are in like a, a, a church ministry capacity. Like this is what we're called to be as pastors. What what excuse do we have not to be people who hear his voice, who know his voice? That's what Jesus said. My sheep know, hear, recognize my voice and they listen. How do I obey what he's speaking if I haven't had moments to hear his voice? 
And so for me, there's always this challenge to come back, to not go through, I had a friend put it this way the other day, to get so good at the mechanics of ministry that I miss the mystery of ministry. And so it's 10 years into this thing, it's almost like, man, I can, I can, I can hit play on a conversation I need to have. I can hit play on a teaching I've got locked and loaded. I can hit play on a decision because it's like, I've done it. You get familiar with the mechanics. But I don't want to, I'm not going to change lives through the mechanics. I've got to, I've got to learn what it means to sit in God's presence, to be able to, to be able to understand like his, his direction and assignment to, for my life for a given day, to hear what he's speaking, to walk in obedience, to know his voice so that I'm like sensitive to his spirit um, in, in every moment. So I say it in the setting of, for those of us, I think who are in ministry, it's, we're, we're around it so much that it can almost feel like, um, it can almost feel like because we're around it, we almost start to believe that like it's us standing before him, right? This is uh, this is uh, Samuel where he's learned the me- uh, in the in the uh, temple with Eli where he's learned the mechanics of ministering to God, but did not know the Lord. It would be so easy to be in an environment like this where we're worshiping together and we're hearing sermons that you feel like, oh, then I'm hearing God's voice, but yet not know the Lord ourselves. And so for me. That's that challenge to not get so caught up in the doing, doing, doing that I forget that the ultimate calling that Jesus gives us is into being with him, being with him. So maybe this would be helpful. I think it's in Mark somewhere. Yeah, it was the the Mark 6 version of the um, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. It's like right before this happens, you have where Jesus, they, he sends out the 12 and— uh, and he's like, you know, don't don't take anything for the journey, no bread, no food, right? So they're like moving in faith. Remember, they've been watching Jesus do ministry. And so, and now he's sending them out in twos. And like, this is a crazy verse in, in Mark 6, 12. It says, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so they're preaching repentance. They're casting out demons. They're like healing the sick. So like, what an absolutely productive, fruitful moment of ministry for these disciples, right? Like, I don't, it's probably been a couple weeks since you cast out a demon, but like, they're just, they're out there, they're out there doing this thing. And for me, this really helped me, Wade, when I just think about uh, uh, the, uh, what it looks like to, to find moments with God in the middle of this hectic life that God has called us to in the middle of yes, ministry, but in the middle of parenting in the middle of running a business in the, in the middle of, 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 I don't look at maybe a, a, a situ a chronic sickness. Someone is walking. Like, how do I find these moments with God in the middle of all this? Cause you remember like when, how we would always talk about at elevation, how it's like, Oh, it's just a busy season. And then, Easter roll, and you're like, oh, well, someone's like, it's, don't worry, it's just a busy season. And you eventually start to catch on, like, is it just, why are we saying season? Let's just call <laughs> just it what it is. It's just, it's just busy. And so here you have the disciples, they're going from like incredible ministry, casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching the gospel. And the next part is where they show up and there's crowds of people who are waiting to be fed. So when they come back to Jesus, I'm imagining they're like us, where they're like, oh, finally, like, we're going to, get an Airbnb with Jesus and get some time to like, just chill out, hear what new teachings he's come up with. And so they, they come back to him in Mark 630 and they're reporting everything that they've done. And he says, this 
phrase that must have felt like music to their ears after doing ministry with no bread, no staff, no place to lay their head, the intensity of casting out demons, the boldness to preach the good news, the faith to heal the sick. And he says, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So right right after all that, Jesus gives them that incredible invitation that he's always giving to us to come away to a quiet place by ourselves and get rest like real spiritual rest, right? I love how it has both those things we love in there, like by yourselves, that's solitude in a quiet place, silence and solitude being the, the, the framework for where we experience intimacy with God and practice prayer and, and read the word and all the spiritual disciplines take place. So they get this invitation to be with Jesus and, and it says like, so they get in a boat, but when they get to the other side where I think they had the expectation of, oh great, we're gonna get to just, have lunch with Jesus and hear what new words God has given him. Maybe he's got some new beatitudes we, he's, that we can check out. They get to the other side and there are crowds of people who are hungry. And when Jesus says, give them something to eat, these same disciples who were just so enthusiastic about all the ways they got to serve God are like, hey, it's late, send them away. Now they're pushing away ministry. Like just moments later, after being like coming back, giving Jesus a report, here's what we got to be a part of. Here's what we got to see. Here's the way that God used us. Now there's hungry people who want to hear from Jesus and they're sending them away. It's like every possible sign of just spiritual burnout. They're 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 making excuses. They're exaggerating. They're in like self-preservation mode. And you're like, how did they, how did they just flip-flop that quick? How did you go from being so enthusiastic about, Lord, use my life however you want, to then being in this mode where it's like, oh God, I don't know if I have anything to give, or that's going to take more than a year's wages. I can't, I can't give that up right now. And for me, this was like the, this was like the revelation way that I've been probably living in for like a year now when the Lord showed me this. It's like after he gives them that invitation, it's not that Jesus didn't know that there was going to be crowds of people waiting on the other side. And in fact, like the Sea of Galilee where they were, uh, it wouldn't have been a long journey from one side to the other. And we know that because the crowds watched them from the shore and walked to the other side. So what that means is where they were going to, Jesus and the disciples, they could have walked, but yet Jesus gives them this invitation to be with him. And what is it? The verse 32 says, so they went away by themselves in a boat. And so for me, it was the realization that While Jesus could have walked with them to the other sides with the crowd, he gave them an invitation for a few moments to get in the boat with him where they could experience, uh, cultivate intimacy with him, silence and solitude. If they were hungry, they could have asked him for something to eat. If they needed a word, they could have asked. If they needed encouragement, that was their moment to ask him. He gave them an invitation to get in the boat. And these moments of rest happen on the way from one side to the other, in between one season and another, we've got to recognize that that's the place where Jesus gives us these invitations to really connect with him. And so I think the disciples missed it because we so often miss it too. We just think like, oh, if I could get on a retreat and have two days to spend with Jesus, that's what I need. And it's like, wait, what about the 10 minutes in the driveway from when you get home from work before you go in the house? Like, could that be a little boat? This is what Richard Foster calls a little solitudes. Could that be a boat? What about like taking a lap between meetings and just saying like, hey God, I just want to, uh, here's something that's been stressing me out that I just want to give to you. Could that be, could that be a boat? Could it be like, could, could it be just carving out little moments throughout your day that instead of like, who's around to go to lunch with me today? Can it be like, you know what? I'm just going to like, 
take a few moments to sit and pray, or I'm going to read my word. I think that Jesus gives us invitations into these to get in the boat with him, to be alone with him all throughout our day. But we're always waiting for like rest being like a destination. When we get to the other side, then we'll get a chance. And for me, it's like, I don't know what's waiting for me when I get home. I don't know what's waiting for me in that next meeting. I don't know what's waiting for me next month. So to live with the expectation of, if I can just get through this season, then I'll get a chance to rest. You just never know what's waiting for you on the other side. You don't know what ministry is waiting for you on the other side. I don't know what hungry people are gonna be, who are, are gonna need something from me on the other side. So for me, it's been learning to say, Lord, open up my eyes to see the little boats that you're inviting me into throughout the day. And let me just have a few moments where I can talk with you. These are like, I think transition moments in our life are so key. Like we're just in the habit of going like thing to thing to thing, right? If a meeting ends at 11, the next the next meeting starts at 11. And how do we create, not like, not the pressure to create these massive moments of margin and space in our lives, but how do we create little moments in between things where we can just talk to God, hear his voice, cast our cares, take a moment to pray. And uh, for me, that's been so helpful. I'm not, I'm not saying like that's like 10 minutes in between a meeting is a replacement for really carving out uh, uh, time to be with God in, in my morning. I'm just saying like, I don't want to just hear his voice in the morning and then rush through my day distraction to distraction. It's like, even after I create time that I prioritize with him, I want to look for those little moments where it's like, Jesus, you like, can I get in that boat for a second? I know there's crowds of people and I know we're going to have to feed them, but can I hop in the boat just for a minute? Some things I need to talk to you about. And um, yeah, man, that's been really life-giving to me. Well, I feel like that is such a helpful, honestly freeing word for people because I think sometimes people can look at, oh, I've got to pray for an hour in the morning to connect with God. And while I I think it's actually a really great thing to stretch yourself to learn how to pray for an hour over time, I think it's much better that you pray throughout the day and it becomes what Paul says of praying without ceasing, without ceasing. and, and finding those little moments. So it's a both and. It's learning how to, to give God the best part of your day um, and to have extended times where you can but then also to have prayer be like breathing, inhaling, exhaling. And I have found for me sometimes those little moments, I either fill them with a distraction like my phone or social media. Exactly. I, I don't schedule well, so I'm not intentional about creating those and protecting those spaces. And right. then sometimes I'm afraid of those moments of silence because I don't like what rises to the surface when I actually stop. I'm either afraid of what God might say to me. I'm afraid of what insecurities I might actually have to pay attention to within me. But I think that's why those moments are so important because we've got to learn how to bring our whole self to God and you don't do that by ignoring it. So for me, I want to, I want to learn from you. What does that look like practically in your life? How are you finding the little moments on the boat to get away? Yeah, so, I mean, you said some, I would, we could come back in a second to what you said about even that idea of solitude, of like the pain of, of being in that place where all our insecurities rise to the surface and it's just you and God and 
in our absolute nothingness. That's why Henry now, remember when he calls it the furnace of transformation? Mm-hmm. But he also says solitude is the place of our salvation. It's just like where God strips us away of all the things that make us feel important, text to respond to. And it's like, when you're there, you're not employee number 325 or Mr. Manager or even Dat. You're just way joy, Jonathan Joseph's broken, naked. That's what he says, like vulnerable before God. And it's such a, um, it's such a, a, a pain, can be such a painful place to be where God strips us away of all the things that we put onto ourselves to make us feel like something. And we're brought back to that place of, of what feels like nothing at first, but it always leaves us walking away with that identity of like, oh no, wait, I'm a beloved son. I'm a beloved yeah. daughter. So it's so powerful. But for me, the little moments are, uh, for me has been, like I mentioned, learning, I'm, I'm trying to get better at doing transitions in my life better. So for me, learning that like, when I get home, I don't just need to run into the house carrying all the burdens of, of, of my day, right? Things that stress us out or things that we're carrying that we might not even like know necessarily how to uh, articulate. You might not get home saying like, I had a horrible day. It's not that feeling, but we carry things throughout the day from interactions that we have with other people and just situations that we're dealing with, or just even the fatigue of making decisions over and over again. And I can just take that and immediately go into the house carrying all those things and then wonder like, why did I just snap at my kid like that? I had to apologize to one of my boys the other day. I said, I know it seemed like I was mad at you, but I was really mad at, I won't say the person's name, but I was really (laughs) mad at someone else. And it's like the frustration I couldn't take out on this person, I ended up bringing into the house and taking it out on my kids. Whereas if I can learn how to find, uh, how to transition better, to get home and let that be a chance to get with Jesus on a boat, I can cast all my cares on him in that boat. I can say like, Jesus, let me just give you a list of everything that ticked me off today. Let me tell you everything that I wanted to say that I didn't get to say today. Let me like, (laughs) let me me just like pour it at your feet and process it there with him Mm -hmm. rather than taking it like into my home. So those transitions have been key for me because it might only be 15 minutes. It's a few things, Wade. Like uh, uh, coming back to his word has been really helpful in those uh, in those moments. It could be a couple of things. It could just be when I read, when I'm when I, reading a scripture in the moment, I always like to look for a verse, like what can I like hold on to? And for me, it's not just like getting through a checklist of, oh, I read my Bible today, but I want to ruminate, meditate on his word. So sometimes those little boats in between are just coming back to that scripture of like, has anything else happened in my day, Lord, that this verse you showed me today is like relevant to right now, or just bring it to the top of my mind so that it's like getting in my spirit versus like, I did it for the day. So the word could be one, uh, coming back to like a scripture could be one thing. Another thing could just be the silence to create space to like, just hear his voice. Something that, uh, I heard, Bill Johnson said recently that really blessed me and it's and it and it, it felt like a great way to put what I believe about when we come to the scriptures. It's like we don't come to the scriptures to dissect it. We come to the scriptures for them to dissect us. And he was talking about how someone was asking, like, how long do you read the word for? And he's like, I read until I hear his voice. Like when we come before the word, it's because we want to hear his voice. Hebrews, when it says today when you hear God's voice, it's the reality that. God is always speaking. That's the expectation. But we live so distracted that we often miss it. So when I come to his word, it's like sometimes it's just taking a moment to say like, God, I just, I need to hear from you again. 
Um, but a big one for me is, and you'll love this too, is just is like worship. So I had to decide to make uh, my commute into work a little boat by saying like, mm. I know there's podcasts I want to listen to, you know, like the Dreamers and Doers podcast with Wade Joy. Um, um, <laughs> what is it? Dreamers and Disciples. Dreamers Sorry, and Disciples. Dreamers and disciples. I was trying to decide if I was going to correct you on that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Dreamers <laughs> and Disciples. I know there's books I want to listen to. I know there's podcasts I want to listen to. But I want to make my commute into a little boat by like, this is a time for me to like just worship. I'm going to listen to worship music. I'm just going mm-hmm. to be able to pour out my heart before God and turn that into a boat. So I'd say between like prayer, silence, and worship, those would be like three spiritual disciplines that I've found to be uh, uh, really helpful in those in those little spaces that we yeah. get throughout our day. And those are all spaces that most people can control for themselves. They can control what they listen to on their on their commute. They can control the amount of scripture that even they memorize or that they, you know, instead of looking at Instagram every time you have a free moment on your phone, opening up the Bible app. Those are things that even if you have an insanely busy day, you can control those small moments. And it really is, like you said, it's the power of intention. It's ordering your life around your priorities. And, and to me, that's what discipline is all about. And you can tell, I can tell what you're passionate about by looking at your schedule, by looking at your disciplines. So you've given people so many great handles today where I feel like people are going to be able to really practically put what we've talked about into action as we, as we close, cause I could talk to you for a long time. What else would you like to say? either on this topic or something else that's else that's on your heart for the people that are listening and either they're having trouble making the space, prioritizing mm-hmm. the space. Maybe they, they're struggling with that sense of unworthiness to be used by God that we kind of mentioned earlier in ministry. Mm-hmm. What, what, what would you want to say that's on your heart right now? Yeah. I think even looking at this passage, you have the disciples Preaching, preaching repentance, healing the sick, casting out demons. A few moments later, it's like this incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And so it's like, what we're talking about here is not becoming monks where everything is just contemplation and, and rest. It's, no, there's like an in, incredible needs in the world that God has called us to as the solution. It's, there's incredible ministry that God wants to use us in. And yet it's all undergirded by this calling, this invitation to be with Jesus. And so for someone listening, I'd say like, absolutely, you need to know that no matter what you've been through, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, like no matter what industry you work in, no matter what your day-to-day looks like, God wants to use you. But Wade, one thing I've like, I've been trying to lead differently in, and it comes back to kind of where we started about leading as uh, out of this, in the spirit of a, of a father. It's like, I felt like for so many years, the message I um, uh, would communicate, maybe not always this explicitly, but it was implied was like, hey, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. It's one of the most amazing things about our church is like our vision statement. See what God can do through you to tell people over and over again that like, like God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for you. And it's such a beautiful declaration and it's such a beautiful truth. But as a father, I'm, I'm, also realizing more and more that I've got to get better about saying this, that yes, God wants to use you, but it's also, and God wants to be with you. Hmm. 
and God wants to be with you. So for someone listening today who feels like unqualified or disqualified or inadequate, like, believe me, God wants to use you. But like the beautiful thing that I see all throughout the scriptures is like, and he wants to be with you, child of God. He wants to be with you. And so as much as when it, it goes back to what I love that you share so much about the idea of like the, of the calling and assignment that God's put onto it. It's like, no, like Jesus is always sending, but he's always calling. And the calling is always to himself because he wants to be with you. And so it's like, when you hear his voice, it's not always listening for like, Jesus, what do you have for me to do today? Is learning to hear his voice to say like, hey, come away with me by yourself to a quiet place get some rest. It's an invitation, a calling to be with him. And so that's what I'd leave people with. God wants to be with you. Believe that. Believe that. I think it's easier for us to sometimes to believe that God wants to use us than it is to believe that God wants to be with us, Wade. Yeah. I mean, I can 100% relate to that. That is, it's easier for me to, to define myself by what I can do that I think is worthwhile for God or the kingdom of God. But I remember there was one time that I was praying. This is probably about eight or nine years into me being on staff at Elevation. I was wrestling with, you know, my transition away from leading worship and all the stuff I write about in the book. And I remember God just really spoke to me and said, you realize if you never led worship again, and if you weren't on staff at a church, I would love you just as much and you'd still be yeah. just as valuable to me. And it has been a long journey for me to actually learn to embrace that and to receive that. So I think that word is so timely for so many people listening. So thank you, JJ. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for just the way you care for people. And I'm just blessed that you've been on the, on the show today. Hope to have you back. Thanks, Wade. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. Don't forget to get your free guide, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. I think it'll help you process a lot of what we talked about, and it'll help you identify and be intentional about the moments that you can get in the boat with Jesus, just like JJ talked about. And if this episode helped you in any way, would you please consider supporting the podcast just by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can like this video if you're watching on YouTube and wherever you're watching or listening, please share it with someone. All right, I'll see you back here next week for more Dreamers and Disciples. Mm -hmm.